Welcome to Show Me Your Mic, the podcast about podcasting, which you can find online at goodstuff.fm slash SMYM or on Twitter at SMYM underscore FM. I'm your host, Chris Enns, and for this episode, I've got Caleb Wojcik, who runs DIY Video Guy, an audio podcast and video podcast, two separate shows, each one teaching what he's learned about running a business involved in video production. We talk about charging money for your work, focusing on clients versus marketing your podcast. It's a bit of a show me your business discussion <laughs> and the value of dipping your toes into video podcasting if you've only ever done audio. My thanks to A Small Orange for supporting this episode of Show Me Your Mic. More about them and how you can help out a little later on in the show. For now, here's my conversation with Caleb. will be recording everything we say ever about equipment because someone will be interested in it exactly <laughs> i mean i i'm always interested in that stuff yeah do you you haven't gotten tired of it no not really i i've always been a techie kind of person when i was in middle school late middle school early high school i built my first pc from mm-hmm. scratch i had no idea what i was doing and there was no youtube back then for me to figure <laughs> out why this thing that I spent $1,000 of my own money on when I'm you know, 14 won't turn on, and it's just a stupid jumper cable I had to move. <laughs> yeah. So I like hired some other kid at $50 an hour, and he walked in, moved the jumper cable, and was like, that will be $50. <laughs> I think that was my first thought of, maybe I should be an entrepreneur because yeah. if you know how to do something, someone can <laughs> <Exactly>. pay you. But <laughs> I've always been super techie and a lot of video game playing, a lot of computer stuff. Never really got into programming, but just web stuff. I don't know. I was early on, I don't know, like IRC to jump into Counter-Strike matches and all this kind of stuff. So I've just always been involved in tech. And so it's kind of funny now that I do a lot of audio and video stuff because I still nerd out about everything. Yeah. <laughs> I know. I kind of wait for that. Like I've started since switching to a Mac and I know you're a, you're a Mac guy. You, you do sort of give up a bit of that, like, you know, installing the new video card and lusting after some Sound Blaster 16 <laughs> sound card or whatever upgrade. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, but yeah, I still don't get tired of... I mean, I saw your... You sent me the photo of your gear and your setup, and the first thing I saw was, like, the Mac Pro sitting right there. And other folks might have looked at it and thought it was, like, a trash can sitting on your desk or whatever. But, like, right away, I was like, oh, man, he's got, <laughs> he's got the Mac Pro sitting right there. That's awesome. And yeah, and I do so much video stuff. Actually, I got it when I was working at Fizzle because I was just cranking on videos and I was working on a 2011 MacBook Pro and <laughs> you can only do so much rendering with that thing. So, And was I, it like, is it a, not? this is an audio, primarily a podcast, audio podcast kind of show, but mm-hmm. I, I love video stuff. And so if, you don't, if you're not interested in just t- hearing discussions about video as well as audio podcasts, you can skip episode 80 of show me your mic and wait for episode 81 i guess because there'll be some video discussion as well mm-hmm. i can't imagine people being that disinterested that they'd want to just turn it off but anyways um was it like is it night and day difference going to something like a mac pro from the 2011 macbook uh pro? Yes. like yes. rendering etc yes yeah. i mean i had upgraded the ram on my laptop a little bit but i mean you're using an integrated intel hd 3000 or some yeah some crappy <laughs> video card that can barely render 1080p playback when you're editing. And so I'd play things back at half speed. When I did multicam, it would just chug so bad that I'd have to close multicam and then open it and close it and open it when I wanted to change angles. And it just wasn't feasible. And now I hate editing video on my laptop. Like when I travel and I try to do something. Oh, yeah. It's, it's just frustrating. And 
So it's kind of good because then I just batch everything for when I'm at home editing wise and I don't really have to worry about it. It, It's just something I use all the time. And like, so when people balk for adding a faster hard drive or more RAM or whatever into their laptop that they touch more than anything else in their life, usually for work. So I don't know. It's, it's worth it to me to invest a little bit on that stuff and desktop for me for video stuff. And I mean, audio, even if you're recording a lot of audio on the go, you're editing it at a desk 90% of the time, probably. So might as well invest in a good computer that's going to run it. Yeah, I was trying to think of like for podcasters, audio podcasters anyways, there probably is less motivation for the for the Mac Pro thing unless you're doing like a, or that scale of a computer anyways, unless you're doing like some sort of crazy 10 track audio podcast discussion thing and, um, mm-hmm. you know, bouncing it maybe. Like I would guess even bouncing an audio track out of, I think you said you use Audition, but you know, it, it's seconds instead of minutes probably or something like that. Yeah, even the simple things like analyzing it uh, for like, removing noise or changing the sample rate or anything like that. It's just faster. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so instead of walking away, I just sit there for a second. Right. And try not to open a tab <laughs> in Chrome or something. <laughs> Trying to get distracted with everything. The, uh, yeah. And whereas the, the, those of us on, on older machines or whatever, you're kind of like you, I know like it, it actually hinders your creativity. I find, cause it's kind of, that's where I bump up against that with my, I'm on like a 2007 iMac that I still edit some video on and, and it's great. Like, it's funny because the, the screen is great. Like it's not a retina iMac obviously, but it's a nice big screen, easy to see all the stuff and HD looks decent on it and stuff. But yeah, if you want to try and uh, apply an effect or do something in motion to add a title, it's just like, I can't sit here and fiddle for an hour just to like change the font and wait for it to render. And then, so you end up just doing very little with it kind of stuff and uh yeah so yeah screen space is huge i got a thunderbolt display for myself and one for my wife and she does photography and so we each have our own and for the longest time we were just you know on our 13 inch laptops just saving money and then i got some refurbished ones for i think 830 dollars probably a couple years ago and they're probably still around that price because apple doesn't change prices ever but yeah until they come out with a new, I don't know, 5K or 8K or whatever they're going to do, monitor that's separate from an iMac, that is one of the best investments I've ever made. And now when she's not using hers, I steal it and I put it on my desk. And I do. <laughs> nice. So that, I forget now, that was probably in the, in the shot that you sent me. The, I didn't notice the Yeah, I the think there, models, was, there, there was just one. Like right now there's <laughs> two, but uh, then she has to ask me to move it back to her desk sometimes. <laughs> but you can use... I mean, you could get uh, a MacBook Pro or a Mac Pro or anything and use that iMac as an extra display. You just need a $50 Thunderbolt cable and then you just hit a little shortcut and it'll add it as another display, which is nice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's not a complete uh, um, book bookshelf. No, what's the um, blank? Bookend? Bookend, yeah, that's what yeah. <laughs> fancy. Yeah, definitely don't bookend. throw that thing out. That's a solid <laughs> display there. So anyways, going back to podcasting, what's... Um, what sort of got you into podcasting originally? Like, I don't know if uh, I became aware of you sort of around fizzle days, I think, and probably a little bit sooner than that, just from random links people would send around and stuff about stuff. But um, what sort of was your introduction to podcasting? The first podcast I ever listened to, I think, was Rebel FM, which was uh, a video game industry, people that worked at like Electronic Gaming Monthly and eventually at IGN 
they just had a podcast where they sat around their living room after work and talked about video games. And one of my friends in college said, hey, you should listen to this. It's like reading a video game magazine, which I used to do all the time when I was a kid. But you can, you know, listen to it while you walk to class in college. And so I started listening to that. And I listened to that for a couple of years before I really found any other ones. And this was in probably 2007, 2008 timeframe. And there were just not that many other podcasts. I think maybe there was This American Life back then. But then I got into wanting to be a little bit more productive on my drive to work other than let's do a video game podcast. <laughs> so I found some entrepreneurial ones. I listened to Tropical MBA, which I think had a different name at the time. And then that helped me stumble upon Smart Passive Income podcast with Pat Flynn. And now Pat Flynn and I are doing work together. So it's been a long process of listening to podcasts over the past decade or so. But I started my first one called the Cubicle Renegade podcast when I was talking about entrepreneurship. And that was a few years ago. Right. And so that's, that was your first venture into actually being on the show or on a podcast yourself, right? Yeah. Yeah. Experience. Okay. And and was there stuff in between there and then Fizzle or what, how did you sort of transition from that experience and then where did you, where else did podcasting take you, I guess? Well, I got to about 24 episodes of that show. Uh, some of the last ones were while the Fizzle show was going, but once we committed to doing a weekly episode at Fizzle, I pretty much stopped mine because mine was an interview show and I felt like there were enough of those uh, about entrepreneurs at the time. And so I focused my podcasting energy into the Fizzle show. And then once uh, I left Fizzle to do stuff on my own full time, then I launched DIY Video Guy as a podcast, both an audio and there's a video one that's completely different. But we can talk about that later. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's I'm trying to decide which direction to go on there, I guess. But um, the having the audio podcast and a video podcast or video podcast and YouTube channel, I guess, related to that, um, obviously keeps someone busy and on its own and then also running a business doing the thing that you're actually talking about, which is, I have to right. say, is one of the reasons why, like, I know, like, there's the the whole industry around, you know, selling your ebook and selling your course and, and that kind of stuff that exists in the web. And it's kind of like this own little insular thing that where it seems like often the people doing telling you giving you advice aren't actually doing the thing anymore because they're just making money giving advice about doing the thing that they used to do or maybe never did who knows but what i've appreciated about you is that you're actually a practicing in your case video guy um you make your living i make part of your living anyways from that and it's not just a thing that you used to do or never did and just kind of like realized you could teach people about it which i'm i'm sort of smearing that whole <laughs> industry with a, ba a bad brush but I know there's genuinely good folks doing good teaching in there um, but I've really enjoyed the stuff I've seen from you and and heard and watched is someone who's actually practicing the craft as well as trying to then teach people who are coming along sort of behind or beside or whatever you as well and um, how do you my question in all of that ramble is is how are you sort of juggling balancing client work with weekly daily almost you know scheduled stuff that you have for podcasting and video stuff that you're putting out as well what's the secret Caleb oh man <laughs> there there's not a secret and sometimes you fall behind schedule uh just recently missed a couple weeks with my podcast for the first time for this one and it was because I had 
multiple trips with clients. I had some time off. I had a product launch and I just missed weeks. I just, I just missed them. And Mm -hmm. that's painful for me to, to miss weeks because I know how important consistency is. But to chime in on your point about people that want to teach something and they haven't done it before, I think that's a big problem too. And I feel like I tried to do that with personal finance a little bit. And there's something to be said about sharing your journey of learning something. But when you switch to I'm an expert and I'm going to charge you how or to learn how to do something, that's completely different. And the, the cliche is that those that can't do teach. But I think those that do really well should teach what they know. And so I'm trying to do both. And it's challenging to balance, you know, setting aside time for each because, you know, clients, they, they pay me directly. And I always feel like they're a boss in a way. I just have a lot of different bosses. So their stuff typically comes first. But I do have to make sure I set aside a time, set aside time for everyone else that's not directly paying me like a client is. So it's just an interesting balance between, okay, how much can I actually do each week, batching it when you can. Um, The biggest thing is just planning out what the episodes are going to be about. So when I don't plan out what the episodes are going to be about, when I don't know who's going to be on them or what the topic's going to be, then I'm not outlining it a week in advance or thinking about it or planning questions or reaching out to somebody to schedule it. The biggest thing is just knowing what's coming up next week or this next month, and then it just gets done. Right. Yeah, I was going to say, and and on top of all those things you listed for yourself, you're also like legitimately responding. Like often people say, yeah, email me and I'll get back to you and happy to help. And and then you email them and they don't actually ever respond because they're so buried under email. But like that, (laughs) the week before I think your product launched, I emailed you a rambling question or whatever and then the next day I got your email about your product launch and I was like oh well obviously he's going to be busy but then a few whatever it was a few days later you emailed me back with you know responses and of course there was actually like a very easily if I just looked a little bit harder find all <laughs> resource for the question that I was actually asking you still taking the time though to respond and and that is I know a struggle that especially for a lot of podcasters who are doing this as I am as a sort of a side thing as a hobby in addition to the maybe their paying job or paying business in my case it's tough to like you, you said you, you're responding to me let's say using me as the bad example or whatever as somebody who I'm not giving you money directly I might buy a course from you let's say your video course but the, it building up that sort of credentials and referral and expertise as a video guy but at the same time you know you've got client a knocking on your door who's got you know a wad of cash in his hand just to make me a video kind of thing and and that balance must be, like you said, just kind of tough to sometimes keep that going because obviously the the internet marketing side is kind of going to get you new business, but there's also the business in front of you at hand to, to be done, I guess, right? Yeah, and when you do teach what you know, so if you taught podcasting, for example, then if you had people that wanted to hire you as a, as like a consultant to do that thing, then they know that you know what you're talking about. And so that's that's part of the reason that I do it is if I teach video and I show through the videos that I make that I can make them well, that they look good and sound good and that they're engaging and that I have an audience behind them, that means I can do it for somebody else as well. So it's kind of a portfolio. It's like an active portfolio of what you're able to do. And I think that that's a good way to do it. Now, video is an easy thing to say that for, but you can do it with any kind of visual 
thing that you do, any kind of art, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's um, I think where where folks maybe are, you, and you obviously sort of enjoy the the act of uh, what am I trying to say, like publishing the the podcast and and putting that out there. It's obviously something fun because I would guess in the short term anyways, I mean, hard to know long term, but I would guess in the short term, you could probably double down on just making videos for clients, let's say, and say nuts to the web <laughs> or whatever right. and make more money in the short term anyways, just doing client work. But the there is an enjoyment obviously in, in this as well as the marketing angle that, you know, long tail, long term kind of stuff is, is well, is paying off already, I would assume, and, and will continue to in the in the long run. Yeah, and I think that part of the reason people go towards the information product or some sort of affiliate or sponsors or anything like that is that, you know, working with clients isn't very easy. It's it's complicated to just run a client-based business, some sort of consultancy where you have to deal with the ebbs and flows of work coming in. You have to travel often. You have to bill people. You have to do estimates and make sure that you're going to be paid well. You're going to have people try to negotiate you down. There's, It's just not easy. It's way easier to get a regular job. And lifestyle-wise, doing information products and blogging and podcasting and making videos and selling courses and all that kind of stuff is easier lifestyle-wise. And so I think it's a little bit sexier for people to want that instead of you know, doing client work. But I think the natural progression from having a boss and having one person or one company that's in charge of you is to go to client work and scale it a little bit more. And then you can have, you go from one boss to 10 bosses. And then if you create a course, maybe then you have a hundred people that paid you money and you have a hundred bosses that can email you and ask you things. (laughs) So I think you have to scale it going from one boss to suddenly you are, I'm going to have 5,000 customers buying my ebook or something is not an easy journey. So to make it easier, you should be doing higher dollar valued things for less people and work your way towards towards the products. Yeah, and uh, yeah, it definitely helps with paying the bills and uh, keeping, you know, in my case or in other cases, like a family afloat or whatever, obviously, depending on your life situation as far as what who you're responsible to for. It's one thing to, you know, put it all in and just eat ramen noodles for uh, <laughs> for for months or whatever because you're you're buying into this thing but yeah if you have mortgages and things like that to be paid it kind of helps to have the those bigger checks uh, that are in a sense easier to get but take a little more work i guess than the long production of a like a course or ebook or thing like that so yeah exactly there was one episode um it's best for one person to pay you yeah when i left fizzle it was like okay how am i going to replace cash flow and it's client work first because it's quicker yeah to to sell one person than it is to sell a hundred or a thousand. And I think often, like I remember not to turn this into a, uh, whatever, a advice show for entrepreneurs. Business <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think I know for me years spent wishing I could run my own business, thinking I could. And then when I finally actually did take the leap, which was still like, it's scary and it's terrifying. And you need to make sure you're in the right place and all that kind of stuff. Like I'm not advising just jumping without looking kind of thing. But, but, um, but then once you actually commit to doing it, it's amazing how people around you who previously you were saying, I would, like in my case, I would do website design for people as a side thing while I had a real job. And then those same, but then some people would hear I would do that, but wouldn't come talk to me about it. But as soon as I committed to being website design guy, businessman person, then it was like, oh, you're actually in this. Okay. And it was like literally months 
difference. Like I wasn't doing anything different. I was still just as committed to finishing a project for a client in my mind. And, you know, but once you're actually committed to doing it, people, other people take you more seriously and, and are willing to invest in you, even though it feels like all you did was sign some papers, maybe <laughs> set up an LLC or whatever your, your case may be and stuff like that. But, um, it's kind of like you're, you're on the boat now with everybody else trying to swim <laughs> and they're not just standing on shore or something. There's probably a better analogy there, but yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of a better, <laughs> this is not aquatic, aquatic analogy. Yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. So, so you're a, you're an aircraft carrier. And no, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There was, I was trying to find a, while I was talking, this is probably why I couldn't come up with a good analogy because I shouldn't scroll through a website while I'm trying to talk. But the, there was an episode of your show bringing it back to the podcast. The, I think it was the, how to start getting paid to make videos for others maybe, but um, where you're just talking about charging clients for work and I think it applies to people with podcasting or whatever your thing might be. But it was a really good discussion you had with your guest that kind of opened my eyes, even after having been doing this for five years now almost, of charging clients for work, um, of how to position yourself, how to talk to clients about it, how to just that whole process, which I know is um, – so I'll put that in the show notes. I think that was the it was episode 22. Um, I think that was the one I was thinking of but um, that I listened to a little while ago. Um, but yeah, just to – Something about the way I'll have to go back and re-listen again, I guess. But um, something about the way your guest had put it in that show, um, and your guys' discussion about it, kind of helped formulate a little better plan for me as far as pricing and things like that. Which is is again why um, doing a show like yours, I think, and what I've really enjoyed is again your transparency too with some of that stuff. Where sometimes, like, you run the risk, I guess, of a potential client listening to one of your podcasts or video watching a video let's say on pricing or something and then thinking okay i've got caleb figured out here's what i need to do to get lower price or something you know or whatever but yeah yeah or or a current client that we don't name that maybe we say something went wrong and they're like wait that went wrong i didn't know it went wrong or (laughs) right you know i think i try to be as open as possible on the podcast and we talk specifically about uh, what it's like to work with clients and so some of our episodes are about what it's like to hire a videographer or what it's like to hire an editor. And we have to use real examples that have happened with us. And we share mistakes that have hurt product projects that we've done or made them harder to complete, or maybe we've had to redo certain parts of them or something like that. But I think that shows honesty a little bit more. And I mean, you can still see the final videos. You can still know how things turned out, but there's always like something that got into the, the grinder, the meat grinder that's that ends up in the sausage that you at least want to know about it, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's exactly, and that's the thing. People can always, they'll see the final product. And in those cases, the clients, let's say who you, you know, you had to accidentally delete some audio and you had to go back and get it or whatever the case was, but they still got the finished product and know that it ended up good. Um, and chances are most clients, I know with, with my thing too, with websites and stuff, they don't have the time to be listening to your podcast because they're off doing their business or whatever. And they're not necessarily interested in how a website design studio or a video production studio actually works. They just want the video. But, but by the same token, it is refreshing, I guess, to actually hear. And again, that's why I was saying with that episode I listened to on charging is it's just kind of refreshing to hear people talk openly about that and not always in a negative way about like clients are so frustrating or whatever, but just here's the reality of, of doing this kind of work. And this is my experience, but your experience will vary obviously. And, um, yeah, I guess we are turning this into a business <laughs> discussion. One, one last thing before we do get into, like technical podcasting stuff is 
my friend Sean McCabe, who runs the Sean West podcast network now, they just made it a right. multiple podcast, but he has this thing about client work where there's no such thing as clients from hell. And I don't know if you've ever been to that website, clients from hell before, mm-hmm. where people post emails or text conversations with clients that they have and unreasonable requests and what they expect from you and all that kind of stuff. And what Sean says is that all that stuff's your fault. Like you have to choose the right client. If you know it's going to be a bad client or you suspect that, then don't work with them. If they are going to be someone that's hard to work with, quote them a rate that you're willing to work with them at that price for, or, you know, educate them so they understand the process and they don't come mad at you a month down the line expecting something that wasn't part of the agreement. So it's all on you as the consultant, as the person that gets hired to educate them, choose people that are the best fit and, you know, not end up having a client from hell. Yeah, exactly. And that's, it's a tough thing that I know I learn every time uh, as a, I think I'm either naive or assume the best in everybody or assume that we're all on the same page and which is a terrible thing to be doing with a client, not and again, but it comes back to me because they, like you said, they don't know the process. They don't build websites every couple months. They do this once every two, two months. And same, I would guess with you with video, aside from some reoccurring clients, I'm sure it's like they get their one video for their promo or their conference video once a year or whatever the case may be. And they're not doing video all the time because that's why they right. come to you. Right. So, yeah. And stuff that you just, you know, assume that people know they probably don't. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's a book I've been reading this. Okay, this is the last thing on the business side, but it will. <laughs> the, uh, Mike Montero had just, written, just recently wrote a book. Um, I'm you're my favorite client, or I'm your favorite, something like that. Um, that you're my favorite client, and uh, I've heard good things. I haven't read it yet, but um, I read his previous book, and uh, definitely helped with as far as running a business and design process, anyways. But um, but yeah, that. It's on my to, to read list, I guess, as well as something that's uh, sort of educating and helping clients. And potentially, you could give them this book if it's a long, ongoing client. Is that that's kind of the idea of how the things might work, or explaining some of the process. But obviously, for the most part, it's just you need to educate yourself on how to educate your clients on on some of that stuff, and and do a little bit of handholding if needs be, and and explaining, over explaining if if possible. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so, so this wraps up the first episode of Show Me Your Business. <laughs> Hey, there's a good spin-off. <laughs> no, there's, I feel like it's funny in that any podcaster probably who's been doing this for a while has like 30 ideas for a podcast every other day, a new show, because it's always easy to start a new show and, you know, come up with new artwork and that's all fun and exciting and it's hard to keep grinding away at the same one or whatever yeah. for a while. Yeah. But yeah, the, there's a guy on Twitter, Jordan Cooper, anytime I reply, anything I tweet, basically, he replies back to me with show me your whatever I happen to be tweeting about. So. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> I show did. me your cat. Or yeah. Show me, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, no, it's all good. Okay, so back to podcasting. Actually, maybe what I'll do is, uh, speaking of business, we'll take a quick break to thank a Small Orange who, it's not a sponsor, it's an affiliate link, it's a way you can support Show Me Your Mic. Um, and, but if you need some web hosting for your, maybe a business, maybe a podcast, maybe your new video series, your video show, whatever you're looking to do, you can check out a Small Orange. Uh, links are in the show, note at good, show notes at goodstuff.fm slash smym slash 80. And uh, basically a Small Orange, they have a simple vision perfecting hosting while maintaining a homegrown feel with a focus on people, their customers, their employees, and their community. A small orange isn't like those big hosting conglomerates. They don't promise unlimited plans that are actually hindered by hidden limitations. Instead, you're only responsible for paying for the resources you need. 
Whether you're just starting your own little blog or running a powerful e-commerce site, they have a plan for you. And like I mentioned in the past, I uh, before I wanted to recommend them at all, I set up an account for myself and recorded a little screencast video using ScreenFlow and stuff and set up a, a website, registered a domain, installed WordPress, and wrote the first blog post, which, again, you can check out the link to that YouTube video at goodstuff.fm slash smym slash 80. Link to a small orange there and the YouTube video if you want to check that out. And if you do so, sign up with them. You'll be, if you use that link, you'll be supporting me and show me your mic. So thanks to a small orange and to you potentially if you set up a site. Okay, so your podcast, we uh, will stick to maybe the audio side first and then I'll touch the video as well. But um, with with audio, what, what uh, gear are you using these days for recording your show? So I kind of actually want to share my journey of getting to this point. It's fairly oh, sure. short. I yeah, yeah. Had a ton of different things. But when I first started podcasting, everyone said Blue Yeti, Blue Yeti, Blue Yeti. It's the cheapest, best microphone you can get for the price. And so I got the Blue Yeti and recording with that in an office that is basically a glorified box is the worst because there's <laughs> so much echo. And even if you get really close to the microphone and talk really quietly, with a pop filter, like you still, there's still echo and it drives me nuts. So I eventually went with a uh, Heil PR40 because that's what everyone was using. Um, and I used that for a year and a half or so. And I just recently got a Shure SM7B and I really like how it sounds. I like that it's a little bit fuller sounding than the Heil. I think the Heil is a little bit nasally at least how I had it set up directly into a Focusrite 2i2. Uh, so without proper, you know, preamp and, pre-amp and, yeah. and mixing of it and without doing a ton of post on it, uh, I just started to feel like it was lacking a little bit. And now I think the Heil can sound amazing for certain types of voices and for certain uh, setups, but for keeping it super simple and super minimal, I've really been liking the the SM7B. Yeah. And that's again even going back to the the Blue Yeti too. There's like there's certain scenarios and this is what I think people often f- sort of miss in the nuance in the they miss the nuance in the conversation that happens on Twitter often where you're like, "Hey, famous person, who should what mic should I use?" and they just say, "Use this." And because it's what I use or whatever. And and there is so many like you said variables that actually don't get discussed there and and not to the fault necessarily of the famous person a or b but but um yeah the the your voice the room that you're in whether you have other gear that you're using beforehand all that kind of stuff comes into play before you even just talk about which which mic you should use because there is folks who use the blue yeti with much success but they have a great room for it maybe or they have a super quiet house without kids shouting in the next room like i do um those kinds of things I actually recorded the first five episodes of my podcast in a closet because it sounded better Right, exactly. And then it just wasn't feasible because it would just get so hot in there <laughs> with my little laptop fan. and Yeah. yeah so, so I stopped and I wanted to be on video for people that I hadn't met before. And so I did record in a closet and those were the best sounding ones on the Blue Yeti because of all the clothes and everything. But I think that the simplest entry level one that I've found is the Audio-Technica 2100. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. you can do USB and it's super simple for people and it's uh, dynamic instead of condenser, I believe. And you can then later upgrade and 
plug it in XLR if you want. So I have a friend that I do a random nerd podcast with called Nerd Cred. Episodes come out whenever we want them to. And uh, he uses that and it sounds pretty good. Yeah, the price you can't be beat because it's like whatever it is in the States uh, or in US dollars is something like 60 or 70 bucks or something like that. Yeah, I think and, around there. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's crazy actually how, how good a mic it is for how cheap it is. And and hopefully more folks, and like you said, the it's been talked about a few times on this show too because it's, it's one that you can grow with like even if you upgrade to the big fancy mixer, if that's your goal someday, it's easy enough to have that around as a second or third mic if you have guests in your studio or whatever and, and just use that as a an option so definitely uh definitely worth checking out if you're getting started the um and the like the sm7b and then you probably got some sort of tripod or not tripod i'm talking video um shock mount mic thing that you're using yeah so when i'm up in my office which i've actually stopped recording podcasts in uh i had just the heil boom arm i think it's like the something 40 or something like that uh, with a little shock cage for my Heil PR40 that I that I used, but now that I'm down uh, in my little garage studio that I have for making videos, I have a bunch of soundproofing up in here, and so I try to record my podcasts in here, and so I have just a traditional mic stand that nice. it's on. Yeah, I'll just throw in a little plug for Heil because I that's I have a PR40 with uh, the PL dash two T boom stand thing and the shock mount thing and and it's well over um i don't know it's probably almost three or four years now that i've had it but um there's something going goofy with the little shock mount adapter to the boom arm and i'd been putting off trying to figure out what was wrong with it because i thought oh it's just going to be like this five dollar part especially up in canada here i'm gonna have to pay like 30 bucks or 50 bucks to get it shipped and it's just gonna be this pain and so i but i just called them and then got on the line with someone at heil and the support person there and she was just amazing and was like i'll just email you out some parts and whichever one works just you know let us know or whatever but no worries and i was like here it is way out of warranty and they're happy to just uh, i'm holding it in front of me here this little thing i still haven't put it on yet because i'm lazy like that but <laughs> it's great support anyways well after the fact that uh, heil has had for me so but um talk to me a bit about um soundproofing and I know this sort of probably overlaps a little bit with some of the video work you're doing and isn't necessarily directly to podcasting, but the principles still apply. So, um, cause that's something my, usually I record in, in my office here, which is a bit of a flat room, walled room kind of thing, like you were saying. Um, and, but my family is usually gone this morning just cause school's out, kids are home and my wife happened to schedule a bunch of other friends coming over with all their kids and so there may be some shouts in the <laughs> mic that you hear because it isn't a soundproof room yet what what steps did you take um in terms of soundproofing so the garage that i'm in is basically a long one car garage and so i have most of it for the video studio piece and the first thing i did was i laid down some carpet i just had extra carpet from the in-laws that they didn't need. And so I took it and laid that down. That helped a little bit. And then I took to the walls and I have this kind of recycled paper looking foam that's about two inches thick. And I can look up the, the site. It's from uh, just in a minute here. But it just has uh, sticky stuff on the side and it just sticks right to the wall. And I have uh, nine of those up on like six on the main wall and then you know three on the short wall and that's just where 
it's about waist height to like above my head. That's about what it covers because that's where the bulk of all my sound goes when I speak and everything. And then I got some extra like the regular, you know, kind of triangle or pyramid looking foam that just like mm-hmm. is, has ridges and stuff. Got a bunch of extra pieces of that from uh, from Pat Flynn. And I just I put it around the walls and I attached some to the ceiling directly above me. And I don't know what I'm doing, honestly. Like, <laughs> I know that you're supposed to have a certain amount of reflection and of sound and a certain amount of absorption. And you can hire companies to tell you exactly what you should do. I just wanted the room to be dead. I just wanted the room to be dead sounding because I really don't need the reverb. I'm not recording music. It's just strictly voices. And so I just don't want echo. Like, that's my biggest goal. And I also have some curtains that I've hung as well that are just from little eye hooks and those are like separating this area of the garage from the other area of the garage. So I have like a pretty good sound dampened little space here and you do hear some echo, but it's not nearly as bad as it was before. Yeah. And that goes back to a bit of what you were saying, I think maybe before we started recording, I forget, but you know, a bit of being, uh, wanting to be a professional and slash perfectionist with some of your production right and and because I, I know often and i feel like too sometimes it's like well how much of a difference is it really going to make when it feels like it sounds okay i sound good i think i sound great or whatever and like how much difference is all that work going to be but i know here at good stuff one of the other hosts of uh, web friends a guy named garth he built himself a little studio in his garage sounds you know similar to what you're you're doing but he actually did like construction and put up walls and stuff because he does a lot of screencasting as well as podcasting and so but he did our test of like beforehand and after with all this he did like some crazy expensive I think or sound expensive uh, (laughs) soundproofing kind of stuff into this little space that he built and it is like even just with a compressed mp3 there is a difference in terms of the echo and the like you're saying and and the sort of the depth that the fullness that it gives to your voice without when you get rid of all that echo and and I know my situation would definitely improve if I took some efforts to I'm just looking around the room here and trying to figure out but anyways I took some <laughs> efforts to employing employing some of that sound dampening techniques because it is a lot of hard surfaces a lot of bounce back and echo that I probably don't even realize because I've just been hearing it so long yeah and there's probably five to six hundred dollars worth of soundproofing in this garage right and about half of that was just given to me because people weren't using it and it was just sitting in their right. garage storage <laughs> space so yeah and you can get creative. You can use, you could use blankets. You could use mattresses. You can use, like I said, carpet. Um, I remember there was just this random commercial. I think it was for probably Bud Light or something where they were like, if you carpet our house, we'll give you Bud Light. And he carpeted the walls and the ceilings and the floors. And so you can do that if you want to. Right. Uh, that might actually help. It might look really ugly, but you know, you just have to get creative with this stuff. Like I said, I recorded early podcasts in a closet. I have, when I'm doing a bunch of podcasts or recording a bunch of videos, I'll bring in couch pillows or hang blankets over doors and things like that in my office just to reduce some echo. But that's, like you said, you can try to get perfection or you can just try to make it a little bit better and less noticeable. Yeah, and taking you know baby steps or whatever towards it, like you said, using stuff that's already around your house and trying it out and recording. Taking the time, I think, too, to record a before and after for yourself can help 
you, if you're like me and feel like sometimes the extra work or extra money expense or whatever isn't necessarily going to be worth it, recording a before and after and remembering to do the before part helps you sort of like, okay, actually this is worth it. Or maybe it's not. And then you can take that stuff back or, <laughs> or put it back in the closet or whatever it is. But um, yeah, just to sort of know actually that what you're doing is is worthwhile. And, and maybe I'm just speaking to myself more than anybody else who happens to be listening. <laughs> no, I, I did the same thing. I recorded a before and after here. And when I was helping Pat Flynn with his garage studio and there it was a little bit more limited because uh, we could do the ceiling and one wall, but the other wall had a mirror and there's a hardwood floor. So we bring in a rug for the floor and then we have dampening on, I guess it's like three of the five surfaces there. So I mean, it's, it helps a lot if you record a before and after and, you, and can tell. And the company that I got this stuff from and the stuff for Pat's is Audi Mute Soundproofing.com. Audi like the car, mute like the button on your TV, soundproofing.com. Nice. Okay. Yeah, that'll be in the show notes too. Um, and, uh, and yeah, t- to order stuff or there's probably, if you look locally, there might be even be some place that you could buy some of this stuff. There might be a, like a sound... Uh, music store kind of thing that can source some of this stuff too if you're interested in, in that kind of stuff and trying it out and they might have advice for you locally as well so because um, like $500 sounds like either a lot of money to you or it sounds like pennies com- when it comes to what your people are actually hearing because again your your show your podcast is all they get from you they don't uh, necessarily see the the work you're putting into it or whatever they just hear that final product and any little bit you can do to sort of help that sound that much better is going to potentially keep people around longer or entice people to subscribe and stick around period so uh, you're going into you mentioned earlier audition is what you're using for recording um, and you're doing much in the way of post-processing and stuff on your audio side so I used to use GarageBand for my old podcast and I just I was really lazy I just did podcasting voicemail and right. that was that was my sweetening that I used to do but uh, more recently, tried to learn as much as I could about audition and compression and noise gates and all that kind of stuff. I mainly just have uh, some compression and some gain added, and I don't do a bunch with noise gates because it just starts to sound funky if I do too much with it. So I just kind of deal with with the noise in the background. But what I do have done is if it's a two-person podcast and the other person's talking, the other person that silent is just deleted so that part of the track volume just gets all the way dropped down to negative infinity. And so my editor will just go through the episodes and do that for an episode. And it does take time. It takes at least the length of the episode typically, even if you do it at double speed and you do everything. So, you know, a half hour to an hour, each episode is spent just lowering audio on the other person's side, but you can also do it for coughs or noises and all that kind of stuff as well. And it just helps clean up the audio. So we've recorded a couple episodes where we're in the same room and you get that bleed effect on the other microphone when the other person's talking. And it does get complicated when two people are talking, but the main thing is just volume levels, a little bit of compression, and and call it good. I did have Aaron Dowd, uh, whose site is The Podcast Dude. I sent him my raw audio once I switched over to the SM7B. And he did some stuff in Logic and recorded a screen recording. And I tried to, you know, duplicate it and copy it in Audition to have the same effect. Right. Yeah. And that's, he's a, he's been on the show. I think he was way back episode 10, 15, somewhere in there. Oh, he's, he's early then. Yeah. Yeah. He was early days. But uh, 
he uh yeah that's something where you could do what like a one-off of get get him to like produce an episode and just hear the again hearing the difference of like hey this is a guy who does this for a living uh he does the sean west show like you said and and shop talk show and others um and is it worth it to pay someone else to do it or maybe at least get get some tips from him on what works for your because again the the sort of generic advice often doesn't work great when you've got like my voice is fairly bassy someone else's voice is more trebly and there's all sorts of weird variables in at play there that you want to make sure you're sort of tuning it to your specific voice never mind your guest obviously um i was going to mention with uh logic users and i would guess there's something in like this in audition it's kind of like a noise gate thing but there is a strip silence from a track feature in logic pro 10 which i haven't started using yet but mike hurley back on episode 74 of this show which i put in the show notes um he mentioned using he uses it over on relay for a lot of his uh, interviews and stuff that he does where it just goes out and just deletes the stuff for you um in, in on a guest track for example in your track uh, it wouldn't work necessarily with crosstalk where you're in the same room and things like that because obviously the levels are still going to register but um um could work as well if you're wanting to sort of strip some of that out it, it is interesting though because it's like that's that's basically what a noise gate does but it would help with um being able to quickly look at a glance at a track and figure out okay where did he start talking where did she start talking and you know and edit if you're trying to do a bit more of a produced edit job on on a podcast anyways to move move pieces around and stuff it helps with that kind of thing so and once you have to edit a few episodes like that you start to let the other person finish talking before you, yeah exactly before you talk <laughs> cuz yeah. so it actually helps you podcast a little bit better it is hard over Skype cuz you can't, we don't have any yeah. way to know as I like say something you. unless we're on unless we're on video but when you're sitting in the same room and you you can at least let them finish cuz you know every time you cut them off it's going to be more complicated in the edit. And so, uh, like you were saying, just hire someone to do some presets, set up a template for you with some good effects on it. And then you can use that one as long as you're using the same mics and the same setup each time. It's definitely worth the money to pay someone that knows the intricacies of all this stuff to do it at least that first time. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, like, it's... Um I, I can't speak for Aaron, but I, I know from talking to him, I would guess he would do that for you. He might charge you an extra buck few bucks or whatever for setting up a template for you in, in your app of choice or whatever but um definitely worth looking into because that's it, again it depends what you got into this for but i would guess a lot of folks didn't get into it to fiddle with compression and stuff they just want to talk and have the podcast the end result be the thing that they're doing and um, any sort of effort you can make to streamline that process so that you can spend more of your time doing the podcast, less of your time editing the show. Unless, again, you're an audio nerd and you love obsessing over that, then by all means, obviously, don't outsource it. But you're probably not listening to this show if you're <laughs> that obsessed about it. Um, where was I going to go? The uh, the crosstalk thing. Oh, yeah, with uh, Fizzle. You, I know, I remember you used to often, like, Chase and Corbett would be in the same room and then you'd be brought in on Skype, right? Which yeah, it, oftentimes. Probably about half of them were like that. Right. Which I always remembered feeling kind of like, uh, it's just tough because you're like, those two can obviously look at each other, talk, and know when they're going to talk. And you're kind of like, do I talk now? Or do, and that you're the one dealing with the delay and they're not kind of thing. And <laughs> it must have made, I think, was it Chase who was doing a lot of the audio editing on that show? Or were you doing some of the audio? Uh, yeah, Chase did the audio editing on that. Yeah, I would guess. Um, you know, that just made for, like you said, a bit of a tough edit in terms of figuring everybody out and figuring out when they're stopping and ta- starting and talking over each other and all that kind of stuff. But the end result yeah, in, is good. In person is always better, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can even, 
go super simple and just use one microphone if it's the same distance between people. I've used the Yeti for that before. As long as it's about the same distance, people are about the same volume level. Like you can get what you need from it, but I think in person is the best energy wise for for a podcast. And all the ones I've done in person, I've felt way better about. And when I've listened back to them, they're much quicker. There's more there's more humor typically. And I just think they're better overall. And some of my favorite podcasts are, are done in person. And so I, I think those are the best. Obviously, you can't do that with all of them. Though. Yeah. <laughs> this show doesn't have that budget. Otherwise, I'd love to come down. I forget you're down in California somewhere, I think, right? Is, yeah, San yeah, Diego. Yeah. And I, we got snow here today. So <laughs> it would be lovely to be <laughs> down in San Diego in person uh, doing the show for reasons other than podcasting, but even just podcasting alone. Um and it, okay, on the video side of what you're doing with the show, your video show, you have your podcast comes out, audio podcast is supposed to come out Thursday, video is Tuesday, or to have those backwards maybe? No, that's right. Yeah. Um, which is uh, speaks to, like you said earlier, the just releasing things on a regular schedule helps both you, I think, as the producer to, and like you said, life happens obviously, but um, helps you. And then, uh, like I know for me, once I switch to this show being like, it's recording Tuesday morning and it comes out Tuesday after I edit it. And that's what it does. And barring, you know, uh, guests who need other recording times, it's just made it so easy for me to just commit in every other area of my life to Tuesday morning being when Show Me Your Mic is recorded and produced, edited, et cetera. Um, but then also I would guess, you know, for listeners and stuff, they know when to expect a new show and, and are excited and wondering if, it, if it's not there, what's going on and that kind of stuff. And um, looking forward to when new episodes come out and helps definitely helps build listenership. Uh, for a show as well, so you're doing when you're doing the video side of things, how how are you sort of producing that and prepping and and what's your process for the video podcast side? So for the video podcast, what that is is what I'm putting out on YouTube, just repurposed, and the only difference has been the ending, like call to action. I don't do any of the annotation thumbnail things that you can do on YouTube. I just don't put that in the podcast file. So when I export, I just cut off that part and do a different kind of uh, compression on the file for for iTunes. But prep for that is typically write a script, have a teleprompter, and deliver the script. Try to keep the video super short. And then I list out the B-roll when I'm writing the script of what I want. And I shoot the B-roll at the exact same time. Edit it out. I export a 1080p high bitrate file that then goes to YouTube. And then for iTunes, I do 720p and I do like a two megabit per second bitrate on the video. So it's not quite as high quality, but you really can't tell because most people are going to be watching it on a phone or an iPad. And I've even put it up on a TV and watched both. And like it looks pretty much the same, even at 720p. So that's kind of the process that I use. The site that I use to host my video podcast is Podbean. And I was going to use Libsyn. It gets pricey, though, with video because of file sizes and bandwidth. I was going to try to use Wistia, but they don't support anything above 360p for their RSS feed. Just basically nobody uses it. And so I went with Podbean because for, I think, 18 or $25 a month, you can get unlimited uploads and hosting and bandwidth. So you're getting tens of thousands of downloads per episode. You don't have additional charges. Yeah, which I remember hearing you, I was just trying to find the link to it, but you were on smart on uh, 
Pat Flynn's show, just talking about producing his show, which, and that's where you'd mentioned, I think at that time, Podbean as well. And it seems almost, you know, again, for some folks, maybe 25 or it's $18 a month. If you pay for the whole year or 25, if you pay monthly, that maybe seem like a lot of money, but knowing again, what hosting, like you mentioned, some of the other ones, Libsyn, et cetera, it's actually a crazy good deal. Um, in terms of keeping things simple and easy. And, and obviously it's been working, I guess, for in terms of a quick review of Podbean as a service for you, it's worked well. Yeah, I don't think there's a really good podcasting house anywhere. Like all of them have their <laughs> yeah. all of them have their issues, but Podbean, Podbean works and you can finagle it a little bit um, to get the RSS feed exactly how you want it in iTunes. And I'm actually running it through FeedBurner, which I know is like, God forsaken. Yeah. <laughs> who knows what's going to happen with them. But the one added bonus is being in four additional iTunes categories because Podbean only gets you into one. So I don't know if that was worth it or not. But oh, worst yeah. case, I can always redirect the feed and just take the feed from uh, Podbean. And right. then for my old podcast, those are still on Libsyn, my audio ones. But then my new podcast is actually through SoundCloud. Um, just because oh, I want to experiment with yeah. that. So. Uh, any of the any of the downloads show up as stats in SoundCloud. Right. How is that compared for you uh, compared to using Libsyn and, and, and SoundCloud in terms of workflow and stuff? Is it any different really? Or I think that SoundCloud is a little bit easier to use, but the only issue I have is that it's not fully podcast supported yet, so you can't schedule episodes in advance. Oh, so if you right, upload yeah. an episode, that date is the date of the episode. Right. So... That's really frustrating. And are you, you're a part of SoundCloud's podcaster beta thing? Is that yeah? Yeah, that's what you have to be sort of get in on or whatever. Which I don't think is that difficult to get into. Just sort of have to request it and maybe um, work through their process or whatever. But I noticed in Logic now it's got publishing right to SoundCloud, uh, which again I haven't I've experimented with a little bit. I'm always wary of some of those kinds of things, but um, just being a maybe too much of a control freak, freak or whatever with some of that stuff. But I could see a, a scenario where it would be nice just, you know, after we t- finish talking, I edit it and just hit publish and it's right away out to SoundCloud and not, I don't have to, there's an, isn't that intermediary step of uploading it myself manually and things like that. So, um, yeah, the only thing I would be concerned about with that is if it gets tagged. And so I always export individually from audition and then I tag it with ID three editor and then I upload it. Right. Perhaps editor and do it sometimes yeah yeah <laughs> somehow someday podcasting will get simpler and we'll, <laughs> we'll have it still feels like a little bit archaic sometimes when you think about all the little steps we have to do to just get a podcast out there but it's it is better than it used to be i, sh- I shouldn't be so i mean you can you can hit record on soundcloud's website and yeah that's true stop and you'll be done but <laughs> you don't have the show notes or the proper id3 tags for people that are looking at it on a podcast app and yeah there's just going that extra mile for quality wise. Like every podcast episode I do, I do a custom piece of artwork that shows up on my site so that on social media, it's more attractive for people to watch that episode. And then I can have a a more interesting looking archive page for all my podcast episodes. And so, I mean, I've even taken some of the photos and so then I have to edit them and then I have to put in Photoshop and put the text on them. And so it's extra time when I could just record the audio and put it out there. But I think the extra piece of polish is helpful. And so just the fact that in my podcasting app, if someone mentions something and in the show notes, I can 
click on a link and open it in a browser right away. Like that's that's a cool thing. And <laughs> yeah. if people go the extra mile to add that kind of detail into their show notes, then you know I I appreciate that. Yeah, no, definitely. And that's definitely something I know at, at Good Stuff here, the podcast network, we strive to like some of those things that it feels like we look at some of the stats and stuff and wonder okay, how, if if five people out of the 200 or whatever actually click on a link to a show. Are we, you know, are you spinning your wheels sometimes with some of this extra work of show notes and whatever? And there's like all the SEO stuff aside, like I'm just talking about human to human interactions and stuff that we actually do all this extra work for. And um, and sometimes it feels like, oh, is it really worth it? But that, that is like the delight of, or delighting a, a listener or a, a potential client with some of those little touches is I think infinitely worth it because you, you can't really put a price on it exactly and you don't really know because nobody's going to really shout it from the rooftops how amazing the show notes were on Caleb's podcast, but they really do appreciate it when they get to, like you said, have that little touch, a little extra bit of polish. And, and looking at the, the if I'm looking for a video pod or an audio podcast about how to do video and I look at your site and then I look at some of the other sites not mentioning any names or whatever but just you know stuff like you said some of the extra polish that you put into it it just is more enticing it's more interesting it looks better and and at the end of the day that's really what it's about you want to attract new listeners and so that's what you got to do to get that happening I guess so yeah (laughs) yeah I mean I, I agree I don't go crazy with show notes it's just links to things I put in there and then you know three to five sentences teasing what we're talking about and Mm. that's about it. I mean, they keep it pretty simple. It's just the image, the three to five sentences, the SoundCloud player links to iTunes and SoundCloud and uh, other places. And then yeah, links uh, for the show notes. I don't, I don't write exhaustive show notes for referencing certain timestamps or anything like that just because I don't have the capacity to do so or want to spend the budget on it. But I know people that do and they get the extra SEO juice from it and things like that. So, I mean, do as much work as you can outside of the audio file. And I think people do actually notice it. Yeah. Appreciate it. With uh, just going back to your video show for a second, the two questions I guess you'd mentioned with Podbean, you're taking the RSS feed from them and that's what you submit to iTunes as, or no, sorry, you run it through FeedBurner, right? You said Podbean's. Yeah. For the video podcast, I run it through FeedBurner. Is there a scenario where you could have that? I'm just thinking like, uh, you know, how we use, say, someone might use WordPress with Libsyn, where Libsyn is the host, and but the feed is actually f- that you submit, let's say, it might be a WordPress with PowerPress or whatever plugin installed. Can you do something like that with Podbean, where it's just like the host and you get the direct link to the file for the video file, or does that get complicated because it's video somehow? No, I'm pretty sure you can do the exact same thing. Okay. Yeah, even though it's video, it's still an RSS file. Or RSS feed, and it's either it's an MP4 instead of an MP3. So yeah, I don't think it's any different. There's just the I don't know about PowerPress and their video players and stuff. Right, like that. yeah, that's that stuff aside. But um, yeah, and one thing you'd mentioned on that uh, that episode of Smart Passive Income, talking with with Pat Flynn about how you were doing his show, you'd mentioned. I thought it was worth reiterating here, maybe, and then that's a teaser. Maybe go listen to more of it on on his show. But um, the just this, you told the story of someone finding about you through. Uh, because you had the video podcast and that's where I think often folks struggle with video because it is a lot of extra work, bandwidth, storage, cameras, you know, lights, et cetera, managing all that stuff. But there is a huge audience just paying attention to video that could care less about audio. Um, and yeah, do you have some thoughts on that as it's related to what you're doing and then possibly for other folks? 
and vice versa. There's people that will only listen to audio and don't care right. at all about video. So you kind of need to be where people are. And I've gotten a decent amount of flack about having an audio podcast about video, but I mean, people, <laughs> people listen to it and there are downloads and I get emails all the time of people that enjoy the show. So it's just a matter of what can you talk about and what can you share with those different mediums. Conversations like we're having right now are perfect for audio. There, there is something to be said about having a 30 to 45 minute conversation that is recorded on video, but how much does that add complexity wise to making it happen when realistically you could just have that in audio form. So I don't, I don't know. I like, I like both. I'm obviously biased towards video cause I do that kind of production for people and that's what I've invested the time learning how to do, but it is more complicated. It's cost more, you know, when people balk at spending a few hundred dollars on a microphone, you can even get a camera for a few hundred dollars that you're going to use. That's going to look good. So it's more expensive and more time consuming to do video, but depending on what you're doing, maybe you should be using video to share what you're talking about or teach or entertain or do whatever it is that you're doing. And so I'm an advocate for both. And I think that it is cool to be in different formats for people to consume in different ways. Yeah. And I think like we mentioned earlier, um, in case it wasn't clear though, like you're, your audio podcast is its own thing and your video show is its own thing. They're not, you're not necessarily. Oh yeah. I'm not just stripping duplicating. audio. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I guess I could see someone making an argument and I've toyed with the idea of, you know, just putting the audio onto YouTube and you maybe add some video stuff elements to it to someone for someone to listen to. And, and there's, there's arguments to be made, I guess, cause YouTube is basically a search engine on its own. And so you, you know, it helps to be on there, but um, yeah, at, I, I, we at Good Stuff anyways in a little bit we've played with it haven't seen huge results but I know there are folks who are doing similar things with with that kind of idea and and it can work but I I like your approach in that it's there are two separate things but they're both kind of like a to use the business term a sales funnel or whatever a listener funnel <laughs> back to what who you are and and appealing to that audience is the way that you speak to someone on video versus you speak to someone on audio um, yeah and I like I like it to be native to the format. So if it is audio, I'd like it to truly be only audio. And if it's video, I'd like it to truly be video. Yeah. Because I just, I don't, I don't know how I feel about people that have a podcast and then they put it on YouTube and then they just have a static image or something like that. If you're, if you're at least going through the trouble of recording this, the Skype talking head, then that's, that's fine. Some people want to watch it that way and consume it that way. But when I did that for a couple tests of my own podcast, I'd probably get 10 to 20% of the people watching it in video and 80 to 90% would just listen to it. So like views on YouTube versus downloads on iTunes. So I'd rather just sacrifice the trouble that it takes to go through and edit Skype talking heads and make the audio podcast better and spend that extra time making a separate video specifically for it. Yeah, exactly. And that's where, yeah, on YouTube, anybody can go see generally, unless you turn it off, I guess, but see the stats or whatever. And it's kind of like <laughs> you can be, you get 10 views on your video that in audio form, you get a thousand or whatever listens to. And it, it's a little bit um, demoralizing sometimes or whatever too, to to think that. And again, but, but I think, like you said, it's because it's not really that interesting when it's just a audio only thing or repurposed audio. Because in the conversation, you would, you talk differently to someone when it's just audio, you 
are doing different things. You reference things. If it's in video, you can show each other things, all that kind of stuff. You're talking about physical world, real world stuff, and and you don't do that in audio form, or you compensate for it in audio form that you wouldn't in video. And so, yeah. Um, all right. Well, in wrapping up, um, we've talked through some gear. The last question I asked folks, and we talked about it a little bit at the beginning in your story, but podcasts that you're listening to these days, is there anything that you're, any shows that you're listening to or watching, I guess, as it may be? So the main ones that I listen to are uh, 99% Visible by Roman Mars and his team. Uh, I listen to, let's see, I'm scrolling through my app. Uh, I really like Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. Uh, he also has a, a, a show that comes out more frequently called Common Sense. Uh, I listen to Sean West, uh, Sean McCabe's podcast about entrepreneurship and business. Uh, the Fizzle Show, which I was on for the first, I guess, 60 episodes or so. You still listen to those jerks? You... <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then... Uh, Trying to create Phil... fake drama that is... Uh, that's, that's funny. <laughs> uh, I listen, or I actually watch Film Riot. Uh, is a, a filmmaking... Oh, that's a great one, yeah. ...YouTube channel, but they have a video podcast feed as well. And so I use that to consume it because what I do... And why I'm a huge fan of video podcasts is I don't go to YouTube every day or every week to sit down and watch stuff. Occasionally on a weekend or something, I'll open the YouTube app on my Apple TV and I'll watch a handful of things. But if I get a video downloaded to my phone, it will be watched. And so having a video podcast and they download automatically. And then if I'm on a flight or I'm on a trip or something and maybe I don't have access to the Internet, I will watch a bunch of them that way. So I, I'd, I'd prefer to have stuff automatically downloaded to my phone and I can watch it without having to wait for it to load. And so that's why I'm a big fan of video podcasts. And uh, that's Film Riot is one of the reasons why uh, I, I chose to go that route too. Yeah, that's a, if you're, again, just like I was saying with your show where it's someone who's actually doing the thing that they're talking about uh, for a living. Uh, and I, I've lost, uh, track of those guys. I used to watch a bunch every week, their episodes on YouTube and stuff back, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago before I uh, fizzled, as it were, on the idea of uh, getting involved with video for a while. Because it, it was, it is just like a, just like I find your show really inspiring. They're, they're funny guys, obviously, too, and, and have a lot of fun with the stuff they're doing and goofy and whatever, but um, explaining stuff really well and that kind of thing and, and, and just entertaining to watch. Um, but they're also, at the time they were making a documentary, I don't know what they're doing these days, but um, they were also making, shooting a documentary or a short film or something at the time and talking about the stuff that you don't actually get, usually get to see on real movies. They sort of, you know, the behind the scenes stuff on DVDs are heavily produced and aren't really showing you the, the nitty gritty of what's actually going on. So cool. What, um, what app are you using to play your podcast with? You mentioned on your phone. So I actually use the native one. I have, I have played around with a few of the other ones, but there wasn't a specific feature that made me want to ditch, uh, the standard podcast app. And it's gotten better with being able to choose how many get downloaded. If they get downloaded automatically deleting them after you've listened to them, which is good. So, I've, I've stuck with the basic one. My one little added thing that I picked up from Chase Reeves is to use HuffDuffer for random audio mm -hmm. that I want to have in my podcast app. So if there's a single episode of some podcast, instead of going into the app, opening that, that show, downloading the episode, I'll just use HuffDuffer to add it to the HuffDuffer feed. 
and do it that way. I know Chase gets a little bit more advanced where he'll he'll like download the he'll download like a YouTube video that he really just wants to hear the audio of and then he'll upload that to somewhere and then huffed up that file. So you can get pretty complex and get through stuff uh, in your podcast app a little bit better by using HuffDuffer. So that's kind of my my little pro tip for podcasting. I actually just speaking of HuffDuffer, and I, I'm pretty sure this is where Chase heard about it was uh, Merlin Mann posting about it way back in the day. But um, Merlin just, oh, that's the wrong one. That's not the link I was looking for. Um, he just posted about a little workflow thing of HuffDuff video where it actually automatically extracts the audio from videos on YouTube, Vimeo, and many more sites and sends it straight to HuffDuffer. So if you're like me uh, or Chase or Caleb and you use HuffDuffer, I'll put a link in the show notes um, if I can find the link. And uh, and it basically, yeah, apparently, will just it's a bookmarklet just like you would use for HuffDuffer and it just, you on a YouTube video, you just click the link and somehow through magic, it stores the file for 90 days and then you can automatically listen to it on your podcast player of choice. So pretty crazy kind of awesome internet stuff going on there. <laughs> and how did you find that? He tweeted about it or? Yeah, on his Tumblr, his his site. So I'll, uh, it's just huffduff-video-snarfed.org is the, <laughs> anyways. So I haven't tried it yet. Your mileage may vary. I trust that Merlin has tried it at least before you, but maybe he hasn't, who knows. Um, but uh, yeah, that's a great way to, tryout shows Huffduffer on the audio side, but this could be interesting for video, audio from video too. So, um, and I think, yeah, the, it's funny whenever I ask folks on this show, there's a bit of like a embarrassment, like kind of, you know, kicking the ground or whatever, like, uh, I'm using the, the native podcast app, I guess. And, um, which is funny and, um, and I get it a little bit, but it, it is like, it actually has been a lot better. I know with my wife, she, I've tried, I've said, Oh, you should be using pocket cash. Or you should be using these other ones. And She's like, why? It's just work. It works. Why do I need to <laughs> go and try right. all these other stuff? And it syncs with iTunes fairly well, as I understand, as far as play counts or what you've played and things like that. So, and the video obviously works well because that's not that's something not a lot of not every podcast player on the iPhone, for example, will support video very well. Um, but yours, obviously, the native one is working well enough if you're a video guy and its playback is okay. Yeah, yeah, it plays back fine. I have no issues with it. Cool. All right. Well, um, oh, I was going to say last episode, uh, we got into someone mentioning, uh, speaking of show me your business, the show me your board games. Do you play board games at all? I would love to play more board games. Uh, I have in the past. Um, (laughs) One of my favorites is actually a a card game, but it comes in a board game box, Dominion. Um, Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. And that's a really good one, but you need to have two or three nerdy friends to play it with because... My wife will not play the game. Uh, <laughs> we we will throw down Ticket to Ride yeah. every once in a while, though. Um, there are a handful of other board games I'm trying to think. I really like Axis and Allies. That's another one where you need like nerdy friends to play with, though. Yeah, and a lot uh, of time. Yeah. yeah. So, I <laughs> so I do like to play board games, but I have not played them much recently. Yeah. I'm just It's just a funny little accidental segment that I'm throwing in the show here just for fun. But um that's access and alleys. Actually, I have, I got it for, I don't remember like 15 years ago or something. Somebody gave it to me for Christmas or something. And I've actually never played, I played the game with other people's games, but I've never, it's a box sitting. I'm waiting for my kids to discover it and just like tear it apart or something and just play with it, but <laughs> not use it as the actual game. But so I actually have like sort of an unboxed access and alleys game sitting there. That's never been played. There's my little, yeah, board, me too. I, I got it like for Christmas. I think oh, really? a little, 
played it yet. Yep. Nice. Another game is Diplomacy, which I've played probably only once. But it's it's like Axis and Allies or Risk, where there's you know Europe and you have to control land and everything. But there's no rolling, so there's no chance. And in between every round, everyone goes and they negotiate with each other. And they say, well, I'm going to invade this country, so don't invade me. Because if you both invade, nobody gets it. And so it's just a lot of backstabbing. It's lots of fun. You nice. can try it out. D- diplomacy. Okay. Cool. Well, no uh, one is friends. At bit, so. Yeah, exactly. You're all enemies and you hate each other. But at least you got to have a fun game. That's, I guess that's why you've only played it once, right? Because all your friends hate you now. Because yeah, yeah, that group of friends didn't want to play it ever again. <laughs> Need new friends. All right. Well, uh, if you're interested in being Caleb's friend, where can they find you on the internet, Caleb? <laughs> uh, I'm at Caleb Wojcik, C-A-L-E-B-W-O-J-C-I-K on Twitter. My website is DIYVideoGuy.com. You can find the audio podcast, the video show, all that stuff there. And uh, worth mentioning, too, that your relaunch, your version two, I guess, of your course, video course, if you're at all interested in video, uh, Caleb is a great guy to learn from, and uh, the course is loading, and I'm almost there, so I'm just stalling. <laughs> it's, uh, there are a lot of images on that page. <laughs> yeah, 10 hours of lessons. There's a few different packages you have, starting at, what's, 30, 49? 49, 49 is the low one, yeah. Right. Um, and, uh, and on up, obviously, for varying amounts of video and all sorts of stuff that you get, and uh um, definitely if you're at all like if you want to sort of skip the line and don't want to have to scour youtube for a variety of like learning from one person about this thing and learning from another person about this thing i would hardly recommend checking out caleb's course and uh, whatever package interests you obviously and where it's applicable but um definitely a great guy to learn from about this stuff and he speaks it speaks about it in a great easy to understand way but you feel infinitely smarter after having watched or or listened as the case may be um so um, thanks Caleb for coming on show me your mic and showing me your business show me your games, <laughs> all the different <laughs> segments of the show all the different episodes we recorded today all the great ones and uh, my thanks to you if you check out uh, a small orange like I said if you need some website hosting feel free to check them out if you'd like to support show me your mic and my podcasting efforts a little more directly you can do so on my patreon patreon.com slash icris if you want to check that out as I mentioned last week I'll throw a link in again I was a guest on uh fellow Good Stuff Network uh, show, I guess we're growing up, Carrie Halstead's show called I Guess We're Grown Ups Now, uh, recently talking about being away from Twitter and sort of the fear of missing out or the joy of missing out and stuff like that. So uh, chat with her if you're curious at all about some of my thoughts on that kind of thing. Um, good Stuff is at goodstuff underscore FM on Twitter. I'm iChris on Twitter, back on Twitter. So don't follow me if you do want me tweeting now <laughs> uh show me your mic is smym underscore fm i started a new thing for caleb it was probably i did it too much too or too late sorry and haven't um didn't uh, properly explain it. but asking questions for future guests i'll try and tweet out as soon as i know ahead of time who the guest is going to be for the week coming up and if you use the hashtag uh ask smym i think is what i said it as um and have a question for the show possibly for that guest or just in general about podcasting that you'd like us to maybe discuss with whoever the guest might be if you throw that hashtag on your tweet somewhere you don't even have to tweet it at the uh, show me right twitter account but you can tweet at me or whatever then it'll just get it automatically added to a google doc spreadsheet thing and i'll use it for a future show if you would like to submit that that'd be awesome or you can email me chris at goodstuff.fm if you have questions comments concerns about the show and finally, if you would like to be on the show, uh, appointlet.goodstuff.fm. No, that's not right. Goodstuff.appointlet.com 
is where you can go. The link is in the show notes at goodstuff.fm slash SMYM. That's enough of a ramble. Thank you for listening. Have a good day. Bye.